Hi, everyone. Terry Walbrock here, host of the Healing Place podcast. I have been on a couple of weeks hiatus from the show, um, impromptu. My mom has been uh, on a health journey in hospice uh, with liver cancer and cirrhosis of the liver. And she had a fall and hit her head very, very hard. Uh, the hospital sent her home on a private ambulance and from the emergency room and tucked her into her bed and alone at 87 years old. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, the in-home hospice team showed up the next day and found her uh, in pretty bad shape. So uh, they brought her into in-house hospice. And when I talked to them and I talked to my mom, she just she just sounded off. Something was wrong, like just didn't sound right. So I asked them if I should hop on a flight and fly a couple states to her. And they said, uh, that would probably be a good idea. So I did and ended up sleeping 12 nights on a couch in her hospice room um, from March 2nd until March 14th, my birthday. And uh, as my sister was hanging a happy birthday banner over my mom's uh, bed, so we she was going to sing happy birthday to me, uh, my mom took her final breath. And all I can say is uh, that I saw something that will forever, forever be with me because I said to my sister, she's smiling, she's smiling. Now, my mom had been not conscious, conscience, conscious, <laughs> is that the right word? Um, for over four days, um, possibly more, it became a blur. Unable uh, to speak, not opening her eyes. And the smile on her final breath lit up her entire face as if she was looking on something so magnificent. So I don't know who was there to greet her, an angel, my dad, Jesus, God. I'm not quite sure. The heaven pearly gates, I, I don't know. But all I know is that uh, it lit up her entire being. And then she was gone. So... And after that, I, I went to my sister's place and slept on her couch for a few more days, waiting for my flight to return home. We're heading back for her memorial mass um, this coming Monday, March 27th. So that is where I've been and why there's been no new episodes put out. I just was spending time with my mom, my sister, my son, my family, friends, gathered around my mom's side, uh, singing her songs and reading her from her reading to her from her prayer books and saying the rosary and um, just just loving on her and kissing on her and telling her how how much I love her. I'm so glad we had a chance to to do our healing work over the last few years uh, as we both came to terms with our codependent, relationship and uh, her addiction history um but it was it was a perfect ending i think uh for her 
as I could tell by that smile, um, but for us. So thanks, Mom, for that gift. I love you so much, and wow, am I going to miss you. All right, now for today's episode. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and so very happy to have with me today, Laura Solomon, and she is a nurse practitioner with 30-plus years of healthcare experience, certified by the Institute of Functional Medicine, author, plant medicine advocate, and an expert in the intersection of tra- between trauma and the physical body. So welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes. Well, we hit, we, we were having a great conversation before <laughs> recording, so I, I should have recorded all of that. I um, know. So yeah. So talk to us. Well, one, before we get into this, I just want to remind everybody, this is one of the special episodes that I'm putting out extra every week for the Healers of Hilton Head series, no matter where you're living in the world, which is now just found out last night in 123 countries, folks are tuning in. Um, yeah. Even if you don't live on Hilton Head Island or the Low Country area, the purpose of this series is to highlight and shine a light on these beautiful healers within my own community. So look within your own community. And so many of these healers also are able to work with folks all over the world. So, um, yeah, it's great to bring them to you anywhere. So anyway, just had to put that little bit in there. So yeah, Laura, talk to us about, um, really, I guess we should start with uh, the intersection of trauma or between trauma and the physical body. What is, what is that? Well, to, to talk about that, I probably should just talk about my story because that's the best uh, example. And you already mentioned that I'm an author and in that book, really what I do is I use my story to to um, express a bigger story that we're kind of all in. But I grew up in a religious cult. Of course, when I was in it, I didn't know that's what I was in it, what I was in. So was, and like any cult, it wasn't all bad. It was, there was a lot of positive, but there was also some really dark aspects to it. And then gradually got away from that and decided I was going to be a scientist. You know, I had had enough of that crazy religious, whatever, you know, I was, I was like, this isn't right. I'm going to be a logical, rational scientist and I'm going to go to college and I'm putting all that behind me, which I did. And I did well in school and I loved it. And pretty quickly after I became a nurse, as I started as a, as I started with an associate's degree, and RN in a Catholic hospital, I was, I was like right away able to see this, this isn't healthy either. And in a way it was like, almost like another cult. It was very dysfunctional. And and on one hand it was like, oh, we're doing good in the world. We're saving lives. But then I could see this just underlying dysfunction. So it was like, wait a minute, like what's happening? But of course I had invested time and energy money and I was kind of bought in. Meanwhile, I had not even started to unpack my own trauma. And so as we know, and probably everyone listening here, if they're listening to this, they, they understand, you know, eventually that has to be dealt with, you know, it kind of doesn't go away. And it started out first with chronic pain that no one could explain. 
like I'm healthy, I'm young, I eat right, I do all the things, you know, I go to the doctor, all my labs are normal. And it's like, why do you have chronic pain? Mm, Nobody knows, you know, and I had some anxiety and some depression, but I was what you would call functional, you know, like it, 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 I was still able to fake it enough that most people had no idea. And on the outside, it looked, I, you know, I was able to make things look good on the outside when and hide what was going on on the inside, which is kind of what I learned growing up in a in this cult. Like there's all this stuff going on in secret, but on the surface, when you show up in church, you are all dressed up and you're singing the songs and you're leading the church. And it, so it was just like some, it was a learned behavior to hide what was going on. And yeah, so so that that went on for a while and the, the chronic pain went away and then I I lost a body part. <laughs> you would have thought that would have gotten my attention. Um for me it was an ovary. You know, they say, "Oh, you can live with that. You got two of them. You'll be fine," you know. And so, but nobody could explain why that happened, like why a part of my body literally tied itself in a knot and I ended up in a surgically, you know, emergency to have this ovary taken out or I would have died. Like, but it was like, well, that just happens. I'm like, okay, you know, just go on with your life because the scientific cult that I was in did not have a way to even address that, talk about it, understand it. It was just all this very materialistic, you're kind of a flesh robot and there's not anything else to you. You know, that was, that was what I learned as a scientist. And so I go on a few more, you know, years or so. I was on medication for depression, anxiety, which I didn't really like, but I didn't like how I felt off of it either. So that was really all I was offered. And um, surprisingly enough, and I don't know if it was because I was such a good actress and I was able to almost tell the therapist what they wanted to hear, which is silly, but it's like those old habits die hard. Or that I was seeing therapists who were not insightful enough or understanding enough to really see a a trauma pattern, like to spot it when it was right in front of them. But it ended up, the pain came back. And so I went back again to the doctors and this, that, you know, was do this test. We think it's this diagnosis. Let's try this. Let's try that. You know, one medicine dropped my blood pressure so low. I ended up in the emergency room. Another one burned a hole in my esophagus. So I had an ulcer, you know, and so, but this was the best that modern medicine. And I was a nurse practitioner married to a doctor by this point. I was seeing the best, the best of the best, the specialist, and this was the best they could offer me. And finally, in in an act of desperation, I just said, okay, I'm, I I guess I'm going to live with chronic pain the rest of my life. This is just my reality. And I went to Queens College. I lived in Charlotte at the time to take a meditation class because I had heard that mindfulness can help with chronic pain. And it, it's it's funny now just how the, you know, spirit, God, the divine, whatever you call it, just pursues you with so much. Kind of brings tears to my eyes. Just so much goodness. You got me crying because <laughs> I felt it this past two years. Yes. There's so much. Anyway, pull myself together. Okay. 
so my teacher, my meditation teacher happened to be a minister. So I would have never stepped foot in anything close to a church, but I would go to a college and take a class. But I guess I, my teacher was a minister. And she gave me, she gave me a, a Harris Teeter bag full of cassette tapes. And I didn't even know what it was. She said, I think you would enjoy this. And it was um, Carolyn Mace. I don't know if you know of her, Carolyn Mace. It's M-Y-S-S. It was a book called um, The Anatomy of the Spirit. And what um, Carolyn Mace was a self-identified medical intuitive and an energy worker. And she was able to see how your energy patterns would eventually create illness in the body. And I had never heard that this was a thing. Like this was the first time. But I was, as soon as I she started talking, I was like riveted. I was like, oh, wow, there this is, this is true. Yeah, this I was is- just going to say, you hear it. And then suddenly you're like, all of your cells just become alive, like the truth. Here yes. is the truth. And you can't undo the truth. You can't undo it. And right. so now it wasn't, it was still a pretty long journey for me to start to unwrap. But so I started to learn about the energy centers in the body. I started to learn about these patterns. I was, I started to connect the dots between the trauma and what was showing up in my body, what my body was telling me, what my body was showing, how my body was actually trying to help me to see and and to actually heal and and so and then once i saw that i also was able to see it in every patient that i came into contact with it was like as soon as i was able to see my trauma patterns i was able to see theirs and i couldn't stop myself from seeing it as soon as they showed up in front of me or started talking to me it was like i was tracking 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 i i couldn't not do it and I would try to talk to them about it. And some people were open, you know, some people were not, right? Some people were very caught in, this is a physical problem. There must be a physical solution. It has nothing to do with my emotions or my spirit it has, you know, and some people were not open to that. And some people were, but the more I realized it was almost like, having like an x-ray vision like you just see what you see and you can't unsee it and so then you're having a conversation it's almost like you're pretending well let's pretend we don't know what's really going on and I'm going to pretend along with you and we're going to order all these tests and we're going to change your diet 18 times and you know and I can see I can see what's really happening you know and so are we going to just pretend that it's not happening Right. And, and in, so then I would, I ended up in functional medicine because I was very much like, we're going to get to the root cause. We're, we're going to get to the root cause. I'm tired of just prescribing pharmaceuticals where we're managing symptoms, which sometimes managing symptoms is what you have to do because the symptoms are really out of control. If someone has blood pressure, that's so high, they're about ready to have a stroke. Then you got to deal with that while you also go and say, what's the cause? Like what's going on? You And I actually listened to one of, no, it was, I did listen to some of your other podcasts, but it was actually today when we were talking, you said, you mentioned a score, right? Adverse childhood events. 
So I, and in functional medicine, one of the things we learn first is how to do a timeline. And a timeline is where you talk to someone and you go back to before they were born, you actually ask them about their parents. And you're not just asking about physical symptoms, like did they have high blood pressure? Did they have cancer? You're asking them really about trauma. Like what was their life like? Like what was happening in your mother's life when she was carrying you? You know, was she in a secure and happy relationship? Was she connected with community? What was her health like? You know, and so I started doing that and I knew that it was a step in the right direction, but I I, I was always attracted to what was even deeper than that, you know, just really understanding what beliefs people had about themselves and what their beliefs were about the world and where those beliefs came from and how those beliefs were actually creating illness. And Carolyn Mace taught me this, you know, your your biography, your story becomes your biology. Right. But for most people, their stories are not conscious. So so you can your body will show you what the unconscious stories are. If you know how to look, if you know how to read it and. Yeah, so that just became something I was more and more interested in. And it was it created a fair amount of conflict because it's kind of funny. I was working in a hormone, like a boutique hormone replacement functional medicine practice. And so someone, you know, a woman would come in. I'm in menopause. I think I need some, you know, estrogen. I got hot flashes and my vagina is dry and I need, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so... I would be like, okay, but then I couldn't help myself. I would, I would really be very interested in what's going on in your relationships, what's going on in your life, what's what's trying to show up. You know, tell me about your, you know, your relationship to your body, like when you started your period and what your sexuality was like. And you know, I couldn't help it. I, I couldn't help on asking those questions because I knew that that was going to affect how a woman went through menopause. You know, it's just another iteration in a woman's relationship to her own body and her sexuality and her identity. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't help myself. So I would be in there doing these. And, and of course, my supervising physicians would be like, why? Why are you talking to people about this? Like, just give them their hormones, make their hot flashes go away. You know, and, and and this happened to me even as a new nurse practitioner, someone would come into me with anxiety or depression and instead of just giving them their prescription for Xanax, which, you know, would take five minutes, just refill but Xanax. All right, bye. See you in a month or three months or whatever. I would go into like, what, where is this coming from? What's going yeah. on with you? And my the doctors, because this is not a basically a very good financial model for, um, you know, they want you to see a, you know a patient every fifteen minutes. Well, you can't have those kind of conversations in fifteen minutes, right? right. And so what happened is, I guess I I just I, I evolved myself out of a job because. <laughs> 
I could no longer fit into that model. And, and then eventually I developed my own practice, my own business where that's what I do. And it's like, if people don't, are not ready or don't want to have a conversation about what's really going on, then that's okay. You know, I, it's not for me to, to push people into that kind of conversation because I have done that and it doesn't work out for anybody. But if people are ready, then I go there with them. And I think I mentioned this to you, and this might not seem connected, but I'll, I'm going to connect it back, is part of my recovery was my introduction to plant medicine, and most particularly psilocybin. So psilocybin, I had asked you, do you know what psilocybin is, is, is what's in magic mushrooms? Okay, so mushrooms, which existed on planet Earth for millions of years before humans ever showed up, and if mushrooms did not exist, there would be no soil, so we wouldn't even be here. <laughs> so there is, it's a very, it's an intelligent um, being, you know, it's like these teacher, teachers that we have, and what happened for me is what happens for a lot of people with this introduction. I read my, well, I heard an interview with Michael Pollan who wrote a book called How to Change Your Mind. That book came out probably close to 10 years ago now. And he really talked about the history of psychedelics in mostly in the United States, but in even throughout humanity's history. And I had never learned in all of my even functional medicine, my meta, you know, like 10 years of college had never learned about the research that was done with LSD and psilocybin in the fifties and sixties. Never heard about it. It was just never mentioned, never brought up. I was just like, drugs are bad. This is your brain on drugs. LSD makes people jump off of buildings. You're going to take this. You're going to, you're, you're going to be a scrambled mess. You're going to go insane like just right so i didn't i did I, I just didn't understand the potential healing of these substances and then so this i read this book i got very curious then i was realized oh my gosh there's like 20 years of research out of johns hopkins for depression treatment resistant depression anxiety trauma like where, why hadn't I heard about this? So I, after I got angry, after I stopped being angry about like the hell, um, then I was like, got really curious. All right, let me check this out. So I ended up going to um, the, to the Netherlands, which where one of the places in the world where psilocybin is legal and, and was at a retreat with, it was a group retreat with 12 other, it was only women and we had four guys and 12 women. And I had a psilocy I had a psilocybin experience. And I felt safe in my body for the first time in my life. Yeah. I, and I it's like I didn't even know that experience was possible, available. I didn't even know that I had never felt safe in my body. It's like you just don't know what you don't know. So after I had that experience, I was like, okay. Because this is something I already knew. Until the, your nervous system feels safe, you can't heal. I already knew that from 
all my other training and all my other experience. And so I knew about these other modalities. I had I had worked with heart math for a long time. I knew about all these, you know, breath work, um, all these other scientific methods for trying EMDR, which I had had to try to bring the nervous system back into a state of equilibrium so healing can even happen, right? So for myself and for many people, that that switch of being in fight or flight was just on. It was basically yeah. stuck in on. It was just stuck there. And this psilocybin experience flipped the switch. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. And that, that leads me to my question of, yeah. so <clears throat> is, does research show or is it still, or are they still trying to figure it out or is it just, we're just going to let it work its magic? Um, I know for me, EMDR did that same sort of thing in that it helped me re- process that stored negative energy, as I yes. call it from my yes. traumatic mm-hmm. experiences. But it almost sounds like this does the same thing, maybe some brain rewiring, maybe just some release, some like helping your body, your mind release that stored negative energy. Well, that's an awesome question. And there are a lot of people spending a lot of money trying to to figure out how psilocybin works. And a lot of pharmaceutical companies trying to isolate is it this? Is it that? Is it, is it be, so they can patent drugs? Okay. So there's a lot, it's a whole industry now trying to figure out. I don't think they're going to be able to do it because it's beyond that. It's a mystical experience and you're not going to be able to put a mystical experience in a pill. Right. Ever. It it's a mystical experience, and that there's something called the mystical experience questionnaire, which um, the Good Friday experiment that was done about 50 years ago, when when it was before it became well, actually probably more than 50 years ago, 60 years ago, before things like psilocybin and LSD were made illegal, because psilocybin, even after everything I just told you, is illegal in most parts of the world. So here we have a powerful healing medicine that is still illegal in most parts of the world, but that's a different conversation. Um, the it's it, they found that the mis, it's the actual mystical experience that creates the 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 um, opportunity for healing. And there's no magic wand. Okay, so so the psilocybin is amazing. It's an amazing um, catalyst for healing. But if it's not done with the right preparation, in the right setting, with the right support, with the right integration, it is just a cool experience that doesn't really come make it into your life. So, right? There are many people that have taken, you know, magic mushrooms and gone to a fish concert and they still have not healed their trauma and they still, you know, are having issues. So it's not just the intelligence that's in the substance. It's it's 
all aspects. And that's another thing that kind of the pharma pharmaceutical industry with their reductionistic approach is always just trying to extract. We're gonna we're gonna find the molecule, we're gonna extract it, we're gonna patent it, and then we're gonna put it out as a pill. It's it's dis it's not honoring all the other aspects that this is first of all it it, it can't there's not you can't it's it, it's the whole yeah. plant it's the whole mushroom it's not you can't just isolate any aspect of it now certainly certain aspects like for psilocybin it's the psilocybin and then your body converts that to psilocin and we know that that is probably the aspect that induces a psychedelic experience but you need everything else that's in that mushroom to actually have the healing outcome and you also need the preparation and the integration to have the 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 outcome yes that making sense so it's a powerful way to for someone to have an embodied for me like i did emdr and I'm not saying that it didn't help me. Maybe EMDR prepped me so the psilocybin was able to work the way it did. You know, I don't want to say any part of my journey didn't work. I feel like it maybe it did to the level that I could, but it was not able to give me that embodied experience of safety. It It just wasn't. Yeah. EMDR didn't didn't do it for me, you know, to that extent. I love I love that you painted it that, that picture that way because I know for me my EMDR journey I did 4 years 98 sessions and mm. it really really helped me process this crazy amount of trauma. But then we hit walls that we just couldn't get to certain things. I still had panic attacks driving over bridges. I still had panic attacks you know, being farther, farther away from home, not as intense. And I don't even want to say panic attacks because my panic attacks stopped. It was more just heightened anxiety, but I still just couldn't, I just couldn't process something. There was something there. Um, So then I, I, like you said, I felt like I, it helped me get to this next step, right? Yes. Then I was able to do some parts work and some somatic healing. Yes. Then I was able to take it to the next level and do, then I went back to EMDR. And so Mm -hmm. it really is like it, it, every step along the healing journey, especially if you allow, like you said, spirit to guide you um, Mm -hmm. and you open yourself up to the possibility. I love the wording you just said. It was so brilliant of uh, this experience. If you, it opens the opportunity for healing. So yes. like you said, yeah, you can take this and then go to a concert and it's, it, you're not there for the yeah. opportunity of healing. Right. But if you go with the intent of and allowing that opportunity, oh my gosh, yeah, miracles yeah. can happen. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things when people reach out to me and are looking for some guidance, you know, they're like, well, what if I have a bad trip? Right. And, you know, there really, I I think there's really no such thing. There are trips that happen without proper preparation in in a setting that's not um, safe and supportive. And 
if you open up to a lot of emotion and you know, you're at a concert or you're someplace or you're not someplace where someone can hold that space and be with you and, and, you know, it can feel overwhelming. You know, there's a reason we suppress things. It's yeah. overwhelming, right? right? So, you know, it's, it's self-protective. So in a way, if you do something that intentionally takes the lid off and it all comes back, you feel whole, you feel amazing, but you also might feel overwhelmed, right? Yeah. Because there's all this emotion that you have protected yourself from, not, not consciously, but as a child, if you're in a setting where you don't have an adult who can, who has, is self-regulated themselves and they can't hold you while you have all of your emotion, then, right, you, you, you subconsciously suppress it. Because you you say the this you read the environment. Babies are born very wise. They can read the environment and they can say what's safe and what's not safe. And a child can look at their parents' face and and read this this adult is not okay with who I am or what I am right now. And and they can self adjust. Children do that all the time because it's survival adaptation. And that's that's what I write a lot about in my book is. Just seeing, yay, my book, <laughs> survival at, at, you know, it's writing that book. It's been about a year now since I wrote it is um, like, I, it was, it brought up a lot of trauma for me because I wrote about some things that were traumatic for me, but I didn't want to leave these, these things out because I felt like my, it was like, I didn't want people to feel sorry for me or look at me in a different way, but I also didn't want to leave parts of my story out because it wouldn't make sense. It's like there would be a gap, but there's there's one chapter in particular um, that I talk about something and, and I had an editor that was helping me and I noticed that when she was editing, she stopped reading and then she also wrote me a letter and said, you need to put, you need to warn people that this book could be triggering. And I was awake that whole night because I thought I had triggered my editor and put her into some kind of trauma response. And, you know, I, I wrote back to her and I said, do you, do you think I should leave this out? Do you think it's too much? And she said, no, you should absolutely leave it in there, but you definitely need to warn people yeah. that. Um, and I was like, okay, that, I get that. <laughs> right. You know, like I, I want to be respectful um, but that I don't want to, I don't want to sugarcoat or make it, you know, less honest. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, so I do to go back for just a second. Um, you had mentioned, and maybe before we hit record micro dosing. So yes. what, so being that this is, is this illegal, like in the United States, would someone no, have to it, go to the Netherlands to, that's a very good question. Um, so this present moment, um, what are we, November 2022, it is legal in Oregon in a therapeutic setting. It's legal within a study. It's been decriminalized and now in many places. And Colorado just recently voted to uh, legalize it. So it's 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 coming. Um, there are and have been for decades people that do this, for lack of a better word, in the underground. 
that support people in using these substances therapeutically, there's there has existed this whole other arena of of it, it it's there it's available yeah now there are some people that do it in a, a religious context so if it's your sincere religious belief that psilocybin helps you to connect with what you identify as god then in the united states we have religious protection we don't have religious protection for recreational use for you know for anything like that but we do in the united states we have religious protection and this is not just for psilocybin it's for peyote um, ayahuasca these are other medicines that have been used Um, there's something called toad medicine so there are other medicines natural natural substances or sacraments really is probably the better word. So the, these are sacraments. And interestingly enough, there's a book called um, The Immortality Key um, by a gentleman, Brian Morowski or something like that. And he has evidence that the, the communion that Christians were using to connect and commune with God was some type of psychedelic. So the original communion this this flesh of the gods was some kind of psychedelic so our human history of using this and for religious reasons or to have a mystical experience that's thousands of years it's not so in the united states in a religious um, setting um, with that as a sacrament we do have religious protection and then outside of that um, costa rica jamaica the netherlands there are play, other places, the Bahamas or other places that people go and there are above ground, you know, so we have underground and we have above ground. So places in that have, you know, psilocybin, ayahuasca, um, ibogaine is another powerful, powerful medicine out of Africa that it's a it's it's benefits for people with opiate addiction are far and away better than anything we we have. Yeah. So, so these, these, these medicines are there. They've been there for, or these sacraments are there or these ways of healing are there. And yeah, so bringing, bringing it back to, you know, root cause, you know, this, this trauma and how trauma can be the root cause for a lot of illnesses. You know, if you look at the adverse childhood events, and someone who has a score above, what is it, seven, you know, their risk of cancer, heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, like all of these things go up dramatically. Yeah. Even a four above. Is, yeah. So maybe I'm thinking jumps, everything jumps, alcoholism. It's like, it's just, so it, it's there. Like the research is there. We know it. We have a healthcare system that just ignores it. Yes. It's like, it's like, la, 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 la. We're just going to ignore that. Like, what? Like, like we, okay. <laughs> like, right. but I'm not, I'm not participating in that. Like, I'm not going to sit across from a human being and ignore who they are. Right. I'm not going to do it. Gosh, I but, remember, well, and again, I've talked about it on the show a couple of times when I, when I was first really got sick. Yeah. Almost, almost two years ago now after moving to Hilton Head. And new doctor, right? I had to find a new doctor. Ended up in front of this uh, 
doctor and very <laughs> a younger person. So I thought, oh, this person will be more in tune with. Open-minded. <laughs> I was wrong. So uh, they had my lab. She had my lab report sitting in front of her and I had moved here perfectly healthy. And all of a sudden my electrolytes are out of whack. My vitamin D levels, my vitamin C levels, my blood pressure's through the roof of like 20 different things went wrong with me in it all at the same time. Right. And so I had tears in my eyes and I was obviously a natural human emotion, upset, worried, sad. And her first words out of her mouth when she looked at me said, well, I think the first thing we're going to do is put you on some anti-anxiety meds. Oh my God. Because, and I said, whoa, hold up. <laughs> you have no idea of my history and what I've done to get to this place. Yeah. It's not anxiety sitting in right. front of you. This is a natural human emotion. Yeah. Obviously worrisome situation. Yeah. And so you, you don't know my history. You don't know, you haven't asked me anything about me and what I've done. And you just see tears and think, let's throw this pill at you and get you out in my 15 minute window. <laughs> yep. And, and this provider has been indoctrinated. Yeah. Into like the, the cult of pharmaceuticals. Right. There's a pill for everything. Yeah, mask the symptom instead mask of the symptom cause. Which thankfully, I was able to go. Mm, okay, that's not the right person for me, and mm -hmm. found my way eventually onto the to the right person who said, uh, "Terry, I think you might have some mold toxicity going on. You yeah. should probably test your house." And I was like, "What? Yeah, <laughs> mold? What are you talking about? Tested the house, high levels of aspergillus. Tested my body, high levels of ochratoxin A from aspergillus. So I was like, yeah. oh, I'm poisoned. And that's why my body's gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Right. So, yes. Um, yeah. Then, well, you know, I'm just going to uh, offer you a little reframe because when I hear your story, I think two years ago is when you started to get well, not when you started to get sick. Yeah, it's so true. Oh my gosh. I want to hug you for that. I so agree. I get it now. Like You started to get well and your body, you know, and this is kind of when I hear your story, right? Everything has a frequency, right? Mold has a frequency. And everything is conspiring for us to heal. So mold, and it's so easy to demonize the thing that um, creates the unwanted symptom and see it as the enemy instead of the teacher. Right. Or, or the love that's just chasing you down. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's like, it's like mold was the love that wrestled you to the ground. Yeah. And oh my said, gosh. Laura. Yes. And said, You are loved, woman. Like, stop, stop. You know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get it. And I've been doing some brain rewiring, some neuroplasticity work. And um, one of the things I do when I do my meditation is um, is remind myself that it the mold was just 
that was like the final straw to for my body like to say enough it's time to deal with all of this it's time it's time it's time but that I had been exposed to mold before I had lived in with mold before I had cleaned it up before when we found you know a water surrounded by mold what we're surrounded by mold yeah we're surrounded by it I, I mean and so I mean I even had a doctor tell me on a really little side note when my kidneys started malfunctioning during before I got to this place of healing. And I had gone to this urologist and he was like, you live in South Carolina, you might as well move. Like that was his response to it instead of compassion. So I, again, I like, I'm now under, understanding with this brain rewiring. So now I've like said, it's not the mold. It's not the mold. Like that was just that thing that you needed, right, Terry? And so now we just you were the stubborn. Last... Yeah, like most of us, right? Out and we came across some mold patches, and I did not respond. I, as a matter of fact, I just got my labs back, and all of my mycotoxins are back in the normal range. Like my body has learned. I processed, I did all the healing work. And so again, I love what you just said. And I, I, my heart hugs yours, my soul (laughs) hugs yours, because that's very, very powerful. And then it's a great message for everyone to hear. Yes. Yes. And that does not, you know, I'm not into being in like, you know, bypassing true suffering and, you know, this just journey to recovery is terrifying sometimes and will bring you right to the brink of facing your own death. Yeah. And, um, you know, grief is part of it. So deep, you know, sadness and rage and, and it's real. It's real. And it's just love chasing you down. Like, you know, it, that's what it is. Yeah. Sometimes that's just you know, and, and many of us are stubborn. We don't want to let go of the old story about who we are, who we think we are and what we think this life is, is it's like, we cling to that, even though it's killing us, literally, it can kill you. It's like, that's what survival adaptation is. It's, you know, you, you respond to life in a way that you survive and your body records that and says, this is the way to stay alive. Just do this over and over and over again. And the evidence that it works is in the mirror. Like you look in the mirror, you're still alive, right? So you can't really argue with that. But at the same time, it keeps you from evolving. It keeps you from growing. It keeps you from expanding. So then there's, there has to be a leap of faith, like a leap of faith. I, you know, courage is the most important part of healing hands down because to go from just masking symptoms or chasing that material thing to actually healing you, you, there is a leap. There is a leap of faith and it just is. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with religion or God, but it can. Um, but it is like, okay, I'm going to literally face the fact that I'm not going to keep doing this the same old way because it's killing me. Yes. Yes. 
Oh my gosh, you have me teared up again. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, so powerful. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So from living, like what it does saying, uh, it so resonates with me. I the ocean used to be my favorite place in the world. Like I found such sanctuary in it. And then as I continued to do a lot of my EMDR healing work and so forth, I suddenly started becoming fearful of open spaces. And so being out on the beach, which is my favorite place in the world, scared me. And so, but again, I think I was being taken to that next, all right, it's time. You can't live like this anymore, Terry. You're still holding on to something. Mm-hmm. So, oh, very powerful. You're really speaking to me on a yeah, soul level. Yeah. And that's in the work that I do, I actually take people through a hero's journey. So I use the hero's journey as the framework for healing because I see healing as a hero's journey. Yeah. And so, you know, Joseph Campbell, you know, coined that phrase a hundred years ago. It's not anything new, but when people start to see themselves and whatever they're going through as, as the hero, as on a hero's journey, you know, it, because we are meaning making machines, like it's not what happens happens to us it's the story that we tell ourselves about what's happening and the meaning about it you know we're not like we were talking about our dogs earlier right if if you forget to feed your dogs today they are going to be hungry but they're not going to go into a whole story about she doesn't love me anymore i must be getting old i'm not cute oh my god what if she you know what the dog is not going to do that dog is going to be hungry but they're not going to make up a story about it we can't do that. We tell ourselves a story about everything. So the way somebody looks at you, the way somebody talks to you, if, if you're sitting next next to someone and they get up and move to a different chair, you're going to notice that. You're going to tell yourself a story about it, right? This The truth could be that that chair wasn't comfortable and they just needed to move. But you might say, oh, it's because they don't like me. There's something wrong with me, right? So, So we're just we're living inside of a story and that's where our power, our healing is. It's in the story. And it brings me back to, you know, your biography becomes your biology. It, there's a story there. And when people realize that and how powerful it is to change the story, then they get into the driver's seat of their healing process. Right? So even the story about mold, Mold is gonna mold is attacking me. I'm I'm being I'm a victim. Mold is gonna kill me. Mold is gonna destroy me. Versus mold is my partner. Mold is my teacher. Mold loves me. Mold is showing me something real and true. Like, do you see the difference? Yeah. Oh, totally. It's just it's like, just a story. You know, I mean, not just a story. You, right? Yes, it awakened you. And for me, it could be like the pain in my body that I was feeling, I didn't want to feel pain, right? So pain was, I wanted it to go away, you know, but the pain was like love pursuing me. Like, yeah. yeah. And there, there's actually a Bible verse. Um, I don't know. It's, I think it's in Psalms, but it, it, it's, it's surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That, if you that the truer trans translation of that is surely goodness and mercy will pursue me. Yeah. 
It's so true. <laughs> I know. And it's so beautiful. And, and there's nothing more sacred than to be with someone who's in a, in a health crisis because they are in that moment of being pursued, you know, and, and to help them rest and stop and see it and understand what's happening, you know, is, um, well, it's something I'm really good at. <laughs> well, I'm gonna own that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here going, holy moly, this is awesome. Brilliant. It is. Yeah. It's like, and it's like, you know, I think we all have a genius. I, I do believe it's then that's part of the hero's journey. When you go on the hero's journey, you come out, you seize the sword. You come out of it with a genius, with a gift that was only yours and only available to you because of your journey. It's like, oh, it's so good, right? Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's one of the swords that I've seized on my hero's journey is a deep understanding. And now it's a gift. Like I can be with anybody in any situation and just be in that gap of you might not see it right now, but I can see it as clear as day. Right. You know, and I'm going to hold in the gap, stand in the gap, hold that knowledge, hold that awareness. And you're going to see it too. Right. At some point, you know, awesome. in the fullness of time. <laughs> I could sit here and talk to you for hours on end, but I know. Right. I know me too. Like, wrap it up. Let's um, wrap it up. So I, I you may. Oh, have, wait a minute. You asked me about microdosing. Yes, I'm sorry. Say, you may have answered this, but just not to leave folks hanging. What is microdosing? Is okay. Like I, I, I apologize. Introduction? Yeah. 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 Okay. So macro and micro, right? Macro is big. Micro is tiny, right? So that you just kind of start there. So when people have a psychedelic experience that they might call a trip or the research that's been done in these therapeutic doses, they are macro doses. Then people have what you would call a mystical experience. So elements of a mystical experience are you, you're not in your ordinary state of consciousness. Your perception of time, your perception of space, your perception of what is true is different. You actually come into contact with a truer truth than is normally accessible to you. Um, you can experience visual changes, auditory changes. You're not like out of your mind. You don't forget who you are or where you are, or even what day of the week it is or who's the president. It's not like you're disoriented, but you're, you're you, but your things are more open and you're seeing things in a different way. So that's a macro dose or a big dose experience. Um, and micro dose and people micro dose with all kinds of things, but let's just take psilocybin, for example, is a much, much smaller amount that you would take once a week or twice a week. There's different ways of microdose. And there's not actually been any research. There, all of the data is anecdotal data. So there's no double-blind, randomized control studies. These are all people doing it and reporting back. But there are a lot, lot of people who have made these reports. People do microdose. I'll talk about psilocybin specifically for depression, anxiety, um, overall brain health, memory, uh, creativity, being able to get into flow states to help with cravings, 
um, for sugar, nicotine, other substances. So people do it for a lot of different reasons. And um, it's a much smaller amount. So it, just give you an example, a macrodose could, could potentially be three to five grams of psilocybin. A microdose is 0.05 to maybe 0.1 grams. So much, 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 much smaller. And the uh, kind of paradoxical piece is that you know your microdose is perfect, spot on when you actually can't feel anything. So it it's you're not really you feel better overall globally, but you don't feel altered in any way. And I actually I created a microdosing course because many people who have a macrodose experience are then interested in the potential benefits of microdosing. And so I I do create a course, it's about an hour and a half where I take people through all of this, like the science, what we know, what we don't know, and exactly why to do it and how to do it. And then people do something else with microdosing, which is something called stacking. So they will include some like lion's mane or turkey tail mushrooms and maybe niacin, different things to even enhance the the effects of microdosing. So it's a whole um it's a whole thing. Apparently in, in Silicon Valley, they've been microdosing LSD for long time. It's not new. Um, but yeah, people do it for a variety of reasons. And and a lot of people will do have a relationship with psilocybin as a substance where they will macrodose, you know, a couple times a year to really kind of clear clear things out. It's a huge, you talked about neuroplasticity. It is a big neuroplasticity reset. It's like taking your computer and hitting control, alt, delete, reset, like boom, you're reset, you're lined up, you're tuned up, you're you're in it. And then the psilocybin microdose kind of just helps to, you know, kind of keep that, that in place. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. But if anyone's interested in psilocybin as a substance, uh, Michael Pollan's work, his book, um, How to Change Your Mind, and it's actually a Netflix movie now, Okay. How to Change Your Mind. I think it's, he does a good job of, of, you know, sharing it in a way that's helpful. Yeah. Well, and I love it that all this stuff is coming round <laughs> like the people are I don't know I think COVID um a lot of people are waking up to holistic and and plant medicine and I know it's certainly come to light for me and this journey I've been on and utilizing so many wonderful things and western medicine had no answer for me for mold toxicity yeah no and it doesn't yeah. And so being able to detox my body with, with binders and activated charcoal and bentonite clay and taking Epsom salt baths and Aztec healing clays and oh, yeah. pulling these toxins out of my system. But, but like you said, taking that whole journey, honoring my body, treating it better, feeding it better. Uh, oh, it. you're really just talking about loving yourself. That's all yeah. you're talking about, right? Loving yourself better. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious about one thing. The link that you made from the relationship between the mold toxicity and trauma, was that a 
um, connection that you made yourself? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you did not have a provider who, who yeah. linked well, that up for you? No, no, no. I mean, I talked about a little bit with my, yeah, with my nutritionist um, in Bluffton, but I, again, I'm always open to anything that comes across my radar, like mm-hmm. anything that comes across my path. And um, I had put part of my story out on next door and through this mm-hmm. little journey and someone, a neighbor reached out and said, Oh my gosh, I have experienced, you know, I had mold toxicity in another place in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we started chatting and she brought up um, the Gupta program and yeah, mm-hmm. which is brain rewiring. And I said, Oh my gosh, I have had that sitting in my like maybe box mm-hmm. for quite a while. And I keep looking at it and keep looking at it and keep looking at it. And as soon as she said it, it was like that, you know, the little yeah. temples and the light bulb. And I was like, yeah. there it is. Okay. And I said, let's do it together. And so yeah. like, oh, that would be great to have somebody in support. And so then, then it was like, okay, this is it. And so I just dove in. And, and that program helped you to see the connection between the yeah trauma and your um yeah and your relationship with mold yes yeah and so that's what I've been doing just a lot of I mean daily meditations and mindfulness Mm -hmm. and the practice just to do the brain rewiring and what a huge difference it's made Mm -hmm. yeah yay yeah yeah all right so how do how do folks connect with you work with you get in touch with you yeah, so I have a website. It's laurasolomon.com and it's L-O-R-A-S-O-L-O-M-O-N. A lot of times people misspell my first and last name, .com. I have a, a YouTube channel with this by the same name. I have a podcast, Sacred Rebellion Podcast. So I'm kind of all over the place if you can. And I have a book. So I know. You, I held it up If you read earlier. my book... <laughs> You will know from wounds to wisdom. wisdom, I say you'll you'll know more about me than you maybe you want to know. But I I hope more than that you will know more about yourself, because the whole purpose in sharing my story and then the questions at the end of each chapter is to help you to understand your own story. It's not about my story. I mean, my story is about you know my healing journey, but your healing journey is is about you. So you know, using using that to help you on your journey is what my hope and dream is for the book. Wonderful. Well, I say I've been writing my book for nine years now, but (laughs) same thing. Like as we put our truths out there, that's when those soul connections happen. People can resonate with your story and then, right. It it helps them lead them to healing. So thank you for your courage and putting your truth out there. You're welcome. All right. Well, everyone. uh, Yeah. Laura, thank you so much again for being here with me today and yeah, sharing your wisdom and certainly enlightening me. (laughs) All right. You're very welcome. Thank you for hosting me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the academy 
www.terrywellbrock.com for the courses. But if you go to my website, terrywellbrock.com, you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, and just a great space for, uh, again, healing. Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you.